All right, we uh, continue in our series in the Corinthian letters, the second letter that we're in. I've talked in the last several um, messages giving that context that the first letter of Corinthians is a rebuke and a sorrow letter. Second one is a comfort and joy letter. And Paul really explains to them why he is uh, has changed his plans to come to see them. Because he wanted to correct this, test their obedience, and then move uh, beyond that. Because they are the basis of his joy. And it's better to be with people that you enjoy when you're getting along well than when you're having to rebuke them. Uh, all parents know, know that process uh, with their kids. So we ended where Paul was saying that uh, we're anointed of God. This is... Uh, God's message that we're speaking. We're not peddlers. We're not uh, selling God's word. We are anointed and directed in that framework. And he says in the context of that, who's adequate for that? And that leads into chapter 3. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. Actually, this next section is really the meat of the, uh, of the letter. So we're past kind of that beginning process uh, so that we can begin to look at some really deep understanding of, of what the Apostle is trying to get them uh, to know and to, um, and to follow. So we pick it up at chapter 3, and I've got in the bulletin that we're going to make it through all 18 verses, but we're not. We're going to make it through uh, 11, maybe to the 12th one, because the second section requires some real understanding of the Torah, and, well, of the Torah and the... Uh, 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 the event of Paul, uh, of Moses, and the veil. And I want to be able to uh, unpack that a little bit. So uh, I'm going to cover just the first 11 verses today. So in chapter 3, Paul says, Do we begin to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything uh, as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Now, as he begins this, and I really want to look at the first three verses. Man, I'm having trouble here. All of a sudden, I can't breathe. A little dry. Okay, I'm okay. Paul begins by saying, we're not commending ourselves. We're not boasting when we boast in the Lord, when we give you the gospel. We're really uh, not in need of a recommendation from you, from someone to you that we're legitimate, and we don't need a letter from you to someone else that we're legitimate. Um, we uh, know that you are that letter, uh, and we have cared for it, but it, it's actually God's writing in your life. So, as he does this, we need to remember that whenever you are outside of a group you know, you need credentials. 
talk about this in the counseling ministry program at, at Cal Baptist where um, we train people to be counseling ministers. And if we were just training them simply to be ministers of counseling in their own congregation, they don't need any, uh, they don't need any um, uh, credentials because people know them and people will either trust them or they won't trust them. But if you're going to counsel outside of that, you're going to counsel people who you don't know and don't know you, great, thank you, um, then, here we go, uh, you need credentials. And so in the world, in the secular community, uh, doctors have licenses, psychologists have licenses, marriage family therapists have license, uh, even Plumbers have licenses. The, the state says this person is qualified, they are adequate, to use Paul's word, for this task. Now, understand that in most cases, state and board licensing is that you meet the minimum standards. And there are people who meet those standards barely. And there are people that knock it out of the park. And what you want to do when you get somebody to do a service for you is get someone who's got uh, more than just the credentials. But Paul says, we don't need that because you are our credentials. He started the Corinthian church. He ministered to them. He brought them the gospel. They came to faith under his ministry. They began to grow in grace and in knowledge. And the the knowledge of their testimony had reached other places. And so Paul is saying, uh, we, we don't need to justify our ministry because you're proof of that. Uh, somebody has said, if you want to know if somebody's a good husband, ask the wife. If they're a good father, ask the children, right? They, you don't ask a stranger because anybody who has a briefcase and is from 20 miles away with, with letters behind their name looks like they know what they're talking about. And we have a tendency, because we don't know them, to go, wow, they're really, they're really smart. And they may be faking it, right? They may be peddling the word of God, as Paul has, has said at the end of the, the last chapter. So he says, you guys are actually a letter of the Messiah, that's cared for by us. Now, this word cared for really means uh, to care for, to deliver. It's like we brought the message, but we didn't make the message. We brought the gospel, but we didn't create the gospel. We cared for it so that God could write in your own hearts, his, by His Spirit, what He's doing. And so He said, uh, it was done, cared for by us, but it is you that are the letter of Christ. And so he says in this context uh, that it's manifested, uh, and this is read by others, by all men. And in verse 3 he says, It's written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tab tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, there's an allusion here to the Ten Commandments. And the new covenant. I'm going to talk more about that. In, in, the, in the first covenant, when Moses went up to Sinai, God gave him, written on tablets with the finger of God, uh, the, the commandments. And that became the basis of the covenant with Israel. 
and, and in Jeremiah, we're told that God is going to write the commandments on the hearts of his people. Uh, so we have a distinction between the first uh, giving, which was written so that they could read it. And God said, put this in your heart. In other words, you read it and you put it in your heart. And the new covenant where God says, I'm going to write it in your heart. So he's, he's uh, connecting that in his statement about it's not written with ink on tablets, but it's written with the Spirit of God on the heart. And in that context then, he says, so we have such confidence uh, through Christ, through the Messiah, towards God. Now he begins to talk about this issue of adequacy, but before we do that, I want you to look at a text that's related to what I've just said. Uh, the first one is Exodus 31. It's uh, dangerous, this section that we're reading is one of the sections that people see replacement theology in it. I want to show you that's not what's going on here. So in, in chapter 31 of Exodus, at verse 18... Oh, I think I've got the wrong verse. Let's go to Exodus 13. I think I inverted that. I'm starting to get dyslexic in my old age. Actually, that's not it either. So now I have a problem. I know it's around, it's around this section. Okay, uh, it is chapter 30. Um, in chapter 30, uh, when he's telling them to obey the commandments, um, in verse 6 he says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. And the Lord God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments, which I command you today. Now, what he's talking about is a restoration. Moses has said to Israel, you're not going to keep these commandments. And God's ultimately going to remove you from the land and put you among the nations. And you will cry out to me from among the nations. And then I will bring you back. And then I will circumcise your heart. So what he says is, uh, I'm, I'm giving you the commandments, I'm telling you to obey them, I'm telling you to put them on your heart, and what's going to happen is, he's warning them that they're not going to be able to do it. It's important to understand that even when God gave the first covenant, he knew they wouldn't be able to keep it. Because the purpose was not to bring them salvation, 
but to bring them a knowledge of their own weakness and dependency and need for God, which He would then in the new covenant uh, meet, bringing them to the place where they can obey the commandments. I want you to see that because it's not a replacement of the commandments with the Spirit. It's a replacement of you put them on your heart to I will put them on your heart. It's a change in what God is doing with them. Now in Jeremiah chapter 31, we get the new covenant. A passage that you're familiar with. Chapter 31, verse 31. God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now this first covenant, God makes with them knowing full well they can't keep it. And he tells them they can't keep it. And he tells them that they will be dispersed. And he tells them that he will return them. So it's not like Jeremiah is about to say something that no one's ever heard. He's reminding them of what God said he will do. And so here's what God says. Uh, He says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Those days of rebellion. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my neighbor, and they will not teach again each man his neighbor, or each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, when I forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no longer. And he then says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars of light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, that is, if the sun no longer gives light, and the moon no longer gives light, and the stars uh, no longer give light, and the sea no longer uh, roars in its waves, then I will... I will... uh, Then the offspring of Israel will cease from being a nation before me. In other words, he says, as long as this creation is in place, I am working with Israel. That's not a replacement. That's not an abandonment. Uh, He is is going to continue in that context. Now, Paul's then going to, on the basis of that, explain what he and uh, uh, Silvanus and and, uh, and and the others are doing. And that's back in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 6. So he says, We have this confidence through Messiah towards God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, But of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Then he goes on and is going to talk about this. But I want to 
address this quickly uh, before we get to the other. He says, we're not adequate in ourselves. This is not coming from us. We didn't come up with something new. This has been God's message and God's plan all along. But we are adequate to now tell you through the Messiah who has come that this promise of God has taken place and therefore we are ministers of a new covenant. The new covenant spoken of by Jeremiah, the new covenant by the Spirit spoken of by Ezekiel, the new covenant spoken of by Isaiah, all that the prophets have said is now coming through. And this new covenant is not of the letter which kills but of the Spirit which makes alive. Now, it's really easy in Christian theology to hear people say, oh, the letter of the law, I follow the Spirit of the law. And what they mean is, I don't follow the law at all. That's not the idea. Okay. So I want to talk about letter and spirit briefly for you to get the essence of what that's talking about. We all do procedures, and we all have seen in, in instruction manuals how to do those procedures. In order to get a certain thing to happen, you do this step, then this step, then this step, and then this happens. That is the letter of the law. Now, after you've done that a few times, first of all, if you memorize it, put it on your heart, you can just follow the order. You don't have to look again at the text. You can follow the order and you will get accomplish what you want. But over time, you begin to realize that in order to accomplish what you want or what is needed at the time, you don't necessarily have to take all those steps. You do at times need to take those steps. Like you may have to program something and then do it. And then you realize you don't have to program it every time. You just have to push the button, right? So the idea is that you begin to go from the letter of the law, every micro detail, to the letter, to the spirit of the law, the intention of the law, the direction of the law, and you're able to do that not only in the thing that, uh, you was written, but you're able to do it in things that are parallel to that, that there are no instructions for. That's what Paul is talking about. He is not saying, we're getting rid of the commandments and the goal of the commandments. He's saying that if you look at the commandments from a literal framework, which is, in some sense, stronger than literal. A literal stand where every little thing is, is, is analyzed and examined. Uh, you will miss sometimes the issue. Because I'm looking for a certain thing. I can't find it. I can't go to the next step until I find it. Okay? And this may be an optional thing. And you don't know it's optional. But you're reading that and you think you've got to do it. Well, that will keep you from the very thing that that commandment, that instruction, is supposed to give you. So we have, and we're going to see this at the end of the chapter, Paul's going to say that Israel is struggling with this because when they read this Torah, they are looking at it in that way. And they're trying to protect, to make sure they do everything exactly right with, and become short-sighted as to what it's trying to get them to understand. 
And he will talk about that being like a veil over their, over their eyes. Okay? He says the new covenant is not a removal of the commandments, but a, a, a understanding of the commandments that is taught by the Spirit in such a way that what the commandments are intended to accomplish get accomplished, which is ultimately the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, those things. And so what Paul's saying here is that we are servants of a new covenant because the old covenant has a problem. Now this is where people think replacement theology. So I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 7. Now in Romans chapter 7, I can't read the whole thing, he begins to talk about the issue of the law. And he's going to say that there's a problem. And he begins telling us about that problem in verse 5. While we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Now being released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Now that sounds like replacement, doesn't it? Got rid of the old, and now I have the new. The old and new is letter versus spirit, not the commandments. It says, what shall we say? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, not the law, sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Sin has nowhere to go without the law. So he says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. The problem's not the law, the problem is sin. This commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me into going literal, and through it killed me. So then, the law, the Torah, is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? No! The Torah isn't the problem. It's sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Now you know that. The minute you say, don't do this, what do you want to do? You want to do it, right? The minute you say, I'm not going to eat certain things, you can't not think about that. I mean, that's the problem. That's not coming from the Torah. That's not coming from the commandments. That's you. We have met the problem, and it is us. So he says, verse 14, We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm flesh. Sold into bondage of sin. Then he goes into that, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I keep doing. So it's important to understand that. So he says, uh, in verse 22, 
I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. My spirit and my mind, when it's focused on the spiritual things, I look at the commandments and say, those are good. But I see another law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, my intentionality and my desire and my my spiritual development is to follow the commandments of God. But my flesh is set on following sin. So I want you to look at chapter 8, verse 3 of Romans. So what the law, the Torah, could not do, weak as through the flesh. Okay, Nothing wrong with the law, but it can't address the flesh. It actually makes the flesh worse. God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, condemn sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now I want you to catch that verse. That verse is not saying Jesus did a vicarious deal. He did the commandments. They're attributed to me. I don't have to do them. Here's what he's saying. I can't do them. Jesus died to condemn the sin in me and in my flesh so that I will be raised in newness of life and I will be able to fully fulfill obedience to the commandments in the kingdom of God when the Messiah comes. That's what he's saying. That's not what's preached. What's preached is we can throw that thing away and just cling to the gospel. We cling to the gospel because it promises us that this battle with the flesh will one day be over. And in the resurrection, we'll be able to fully obey God in the commandments. Man, if you don't like the commandments of God, you're going to hate the kingdom. Because they're going to be in full operation at that point. So, the law is good. The flesh is incapable of following the law. The Messiah died to free us from the law of sin and death that's in our flesh, not the Torah. We are to mind the Spirit and not the flesh now. That's that struggle in Galatians. Walk after the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But if you set your mind on the flesh, that's the letter of the law, then you're going you're gonna to lose. Our flesh will be removed at the resurrection. In the meantime, we have to die daily, struggling against it. Until the Lord comes. Now you got that? You with me? That's what he's talking about in this letter in spirit. So now let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And pick it up at verse 7. Now he says, If the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, Fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more glory? For if the ministry of condemnation was glorious, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case 
has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For that which fades away was glory, much more that which remains will have glory. So what's he talking about? I want you to think of glory in this sense so that we can talk about it as brightness. So let me read it again that way so you kind of get the idea. If the ministry of death with letters engraved on stones came with brightness so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the brightness of his faith fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to even more bright? For if the ministry of condemnation was bright, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in brightness. For indeed, what had brightness in this case has no brightness because of the surpassing brightness. For that which is fading away with brightness, much more that which remains will be bright. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the two covenants. The first covenant, the former covenant, and the new covenant. One of the letter, one problematic because of the flesh, the other one of the spirit, and the other one completely abounding because of resurrection. And he wants them to see this because he's going to focus them in the next chapter on eternal things that are coming, so that they will not focus on the here and now. So, he says, if the first covenant had glory, even though it results in death, How much more will the new covenant be accompanied with glory? So it's the new covenant that will surpass the former covenant. But I want you to keep in mind that in the first covenant, the commandments, and in the new covenant, the commandments are the same commandments. They're not different commandments. Here's the commandments. Here's the covenant. I can't keep it. I'm in the flesh. I'll deal with the flesh so that now I can put my commandments on your heart and you'll be able to fulfill them completely in the kingdom and I'll be your God and you'll be my people. That's what he's saying to Israel. Israel, you can't do this. Try as you may. But I'm going to fix what's holding you back so that you will be able to fully shine. Now, the glory of the obedience of the first covenant is there. But it's not as much as the second. Because the second surpasses into full obedience. And this is what Jesus said. Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes had struggled as hard as they could to obey the commandments of God. And Jesus said... Got to be more than that. How can it be more than that? The flesh has to be dealt with. Okay? And in our day, the ultra-Orthodox Jews are striving as hard as they can to obey the commandments and bring the Messiah forward. They, they believe that if all Jews would keep two Sabbaths, the Messiah would come. If they would all lay to fill in, if they'd all obey that letter of the law, then the, then the Messiah would come. And Paul's argument is, the Messiah came. 
Because you can't do it. But when He gives you the resurrection of life, you will be able to do it fully and abundantly. And that glory will be so bright that the brightness of the first one will fade into insignificance. Now, that's important. You've all done this. You've all been in a room when the lights went off and somebody flicked a bick or lit a candle and you could see the room somewhat and you go, you know, that that looks pretty bright. And then all the lights come on and that little candle doesn't look that bright. That's what Paul's talking about. When the fullness of the resurrection and the return of the Lord comes, the brightness of the obedience and the glory of God is going to outshine everything. Notice, Paul says, the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be uh, compared to the glory that will be revealed. Even the good of this life is going to fade into insignificance. So that's why he's talking about that which fades away and that which comes. He's talking about this present age and the resurrection and the kingdom to come. He's not talking about replacing the Torah with the Gospels. So, in chapter uh, 3, verses 10 and 11, he says these words. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory, because of the glory that surpasses it. And if that which fades away was with glory, much more than remains that which remains has glory. So, again, we see this in the book of Hebrews, and we read this every year around uh, Yom Kippur, uh, where it says that the first covenant had a glory, uh, but when he says a new covenant, immediately the old one is made obsolete and is preparing to fade away. Preparing to fade away doesn't mean it's gone, doesn't mean it's bad, it means that it's inadequate, but it will become adequate in the new, and not a replacement again of the commandments. So, I want to uh, give you a little list, and if you um, want to write this down, I want to talk about the comparison between the older, former covenant and the newer covenant that Paul's talking about. The former covenant, the first covenant, was written on stone, external to people. The new covenant is written on the heart, both written by God. God wrote the commandments on the tablets with his own finger, the scripture says. He's going to write his commandments on the hearts of Israel and on us in the new covenant. He is doing that by his spirit. In the old covenant, the letter of the commandment is a problem because of our flesh. In the new covenant, the spirit, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he will quicken your mortal body. I will raise them up at the last day. And so the flesh will be dealt with ultimately. And in the new covenant, we will not only have our heart following God, but our bodies will follow God as well. In the first covenant, his Torah and his commandments are expressed. In the new covenant, his Torah and his commandments are expressed. There's no change in the commandments. 
So any idea that once Jesus died, we don't have to do the commandments, whatever commandments apply to us or to Israel, where those are done away with, is just nonsense. That's nonsense. The commandments are good and they remain. The first covenant was made with Israel and Judah. The second covenant is made with Israel and with Judah. And through the mystery of the gospel, extends to us uh, Gentiles. The first covenant has a glory that ebbs and fades away. The new covenant has a glory which remains throughout the entire age and the, the world to come. So, if you look at those, there's not a replacement. There's a enhancement, if you will. It's more, we ought to call it the enhanced covenant. The, the, all of the things that were good in the first covenant will be good in the second covenant. And all the things that are problematic in the first covenant, which is human flesh and sin, are done away with in the new covenant. So the only thing really being replaced is the flesh. And that's the resurrection. That's why resurrection is so important to our faith. Now Jesus talks this way in Matthew chapter 5, 17-19. He says, don't think that I came to get rid of the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. And I tell you that whoever keeps the commandments... And teaches others to do them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And those who don't do them and teach others not to do them will be least in the kingdom of heaven. I've told you this before. I firmly believe that the stewardship of the struggle against the flesh and the obedience to the commandments of God in this life will not save anybody. Salvation is by grace through faith. But your place in the kingdom... From least to great depends on your struggle with stewardship in this life. There are two righteousnesses in the scriptures. The righteousness of faith leading to salvation. And the righteousness of obedience leading to blessing and position in the kingdom. And that's why you don't want God to reward you for your obedience in this life. Because then you have your reward. You want it in the next life. And so Jesus said, uh, till heaven and earth passes away, not one jot, not one tittle, not one partial letter or small letter of the Torah will pass away until it's all fulfilled. So if you've heard people say the ceremonial law is gone, that's not true. This thing is still in full effect. It's just got a problem and the problem is the flesh. So it's critical for us to understand the relationship between the Older Covenant and the New Covenant. The goal of each is the same. The manifestation of the glory of God through the obedience of His people so that He is their God and they are His people. And He told them, when He gave Israel the commandments, that they would not be able to keep them. They would not be able to obey. But that He would fix that. And he told them he would cause them to walk in his commandments. And to do that, he sent the suffering one to deal with sin and by resurrection and through the Spirit of God to bring full compliance in the kingdom to come. 
Now this is terribly misunderstood by two groups. Jews and Christians. Those in Judaism have a tendency to think that somehow by obeying God they can bring the kingdom and bring their salvation. And in Christianity, the tendency is to believe because I have salvation, I don't need the kingdom of God and I don't need the commandments because uh, that stuff was done away with. Both of those are error. Paul's not going to talk about the error of the church because it hasn't happened at the time that he's written. But he is going to talk about a blindness that's on the eyes of Israel. And I wanted to cover that uh, today. I just didn't have time, so I'm going to leave it for next time. But I just want to um, uh, read that text for you uh, so that you'll have something to think about this week. He says, We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading. Notice again this notion, one's fading, the other one will be without fading. But their minds were hardened, their hearts were hardened. Unto this very day, at the reading of the uh, Older Testament, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in the Messiah. So what is that veil? That veil is sin. The sin of Jacob. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Oh, I... I, I keep hearing stories, I don't know if you've heard them too, of, of secret believers in the ultra-Orthodox community. Uh, we're, we're getting the same kind of stories among uh, Muslims where the Lord is revealing himself to people and they're staying in the group awaiting a time to, to reveal. And we'll just see what happens in that. But the, the stories keep uh, happening that God is working in some way to awaken his people. Uh, so he says, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty, But we all, with unveiled face, behold us in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So Paul's going to say, we, we haven't received the Spirit of God, and then presto changeo, we are completely glorified, and we're obeying the commandments, and we're doing great. What Paul says is, the grace of God has come to you. You are now to deny yourself and to walk as you can, struggle in obedience. And as you see the Lord and as the Spirit works on your heart, you will grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord and be transformed and conformed more into the image of His Son, which is done communally, as Ephesians tells us, because the Spirit of God dwells in us and the parts of the body that He talked about in 1 Corinthians begin to function appropriately. In other words, this is a process and we are to move on that road of obedience, awaiting the time when the kingdom will come. So, if we can catch this and not get sidetracked in Judaism by the veil of self-accomplishment and sidetracked in 
Christianity with the idea that uh, I got to get out a purgatory free card, and so I don't have to do anything about it, I just got to cash it in at the end, and so I can go about living my life. We've got the people most struggling to be obedient with the, the commandments, ignorant of the Lord, and the people who have the Lord in the liberty to now begin to walk in newness of faith and grace, ignoring the commandments. God help us to bring the knowledge of the unveiled Lord to Israel and remind the church that we have been saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has foreordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray.